Amen. Well, today is week four in our discipleship series. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. I didn't want to give it up. Held on to my iPad. Week four in the discipleship series called Healthy Disciples, Making Healthy Disciples. All right, this statement, healthy disciples making healthy disciples, comes straight from our vision statement. You should know it by now since we've been four weeks into this series. Our vision statement says, Marshall Assembly of God will strive to be a life-saving station of healthy disciples making healthy disciples. And how do we do that? We'll make sure that everything we do filters through those three things, loving, healing, and restoring, and takes us into healthy disciples making healthy disciples. So through this series, we've been looking at four aspects to discipleship, which are love, liberate, lead, and launch. So let me just take a couple minutes, run through them very quickly, what the last three weeks were, just so in case you haven't heard, you can get a glimpse of what we've been talking about. But I encourage you, you can go onto our website, listen to the messages online, or you can go ahead and download the podcast and listen to them each week that, week, that way. The first week we focused on the importance of love and discipleship. Love is the fuel that keeps us going, doing what God has called us to do, motivating us, driving us. And as long as we keep that love tank full, we'll, we will be a passionate, focused, tenacious, faithful, and healthy disciple. The second week we talked about liberate, living in freedom. Our main point was that we cannot go on to lead others into freedom that we are not living in. Freedom is a choice that only we can make. We learned that there were two simple choices that we need to make in order to live free. That is, submit to God and resist the devil, according to James 4, 7. The third week, we focused on leading. We learned that all Christians, not some Christians, all Christians are called to lead. And it's by our actions that we are either leading people to God or away from God. Our main point was a healthy disciple accepts their responsibility in being a leader who can be followed. In order to maintain a lifestyle of a healthy disciple, leading others and becoming healthy disciples According to Luke chapter 9, Jesus said to all of them, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. And we also learned in 1 Corinthians 10, 33, that we are not seeking our own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. That's our purpose. That's our calling. That's our focus. Today we want to wrap up the series by, series by focusing on what it means to launch in discipleship. The word launch actually means to start or to set in motion. To start or to set in motion. When describing our responsibility to go and make disciples according to the Great Commission given by Jesus, launching implies this ongoing movement. That as I go, I go to tell other people to go, who goes to tell other people to go, who go. It's ongoing. It sets it in motion. It's a launching up. Never is disciple making ever referred to in any other way. 
sit in your pew and wait for them to come in. That is not the we're making. We are commissioned, called, told to go and make disciples. Who will go and make disciples? Who will go and make disciples? And if we have to put that little launching mechanism on every pew and pull the handle to send you out, we can do that as well. Just get you out there. We are commanded, commanded by Jesus himself to go. Turn with me over to Luke chapter 10. I'm going to look at a few different scriptures today. Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others who sent them, and he sent them two by two ahead of him, to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Pray, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out more workers into the harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a town, sorry, skip down to verse 8, when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. Let's pray. Father God, we just offer you up, God, ourselves. We offer you up this word. And I ask, Lord, that you just anoint this word, God. Let only your word be spoken today. And help us, Lord, to have hearts ready to receive your word, to act upon your word, and to live your word for your glory. In Jesus' name. Today's main point is not how much you know, but that you go and show. That's what makes healthy disciples. It's not how much you know, but that you go and you show. That makes healthy disciples. You can be the wisest Bible scholar in the world, how will that help the lost drug addict on the street unless you go to him? Think of it this way. If you were the scientist who created the cure for cancer, would it do any good if you kept that locked away in your cabinet in your lab? No. And wouldn't you hold him responsible if he didn't share that cure? I would. I've buried too many friends. I've buried too many relatives. You have the cure. You have the answer. As a Christian, you've been given the message. Jesus' commission commands you to go and take to the world. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting at verse 2, says, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power 
so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. I'm so glad I found that scripture long, long ago. Because I knew I was never going to be a Bible scholar. I knew that I was called to preach the word. I didn't know how. And the more I started getting involved in ministry, people kept saying, not you. Not, no, not you. Anybody else volunteer? Not, no, Brenda, not you. Get over there. Any other volunteers? I think it's me. No, Brenda, we know you're past. No, Brenda, you're a girl. I didn't know that. I think he called me. I think he knows what sex I am. And he also knew what I was going to do. But he still called me. I'm glad I found that verse that I didn't have to be wise, eloquent, filled with man's wisdom for God to use me. Because still I have absolutely no desire to be a Bible scholar. I'm not one. Don't want to be I will resolve, though, to know Jesus Christ and Him crucified and Him alone. Uh, I looked up a couple other stories that helped encourage me. In 1877, William Booth of the Salvation Army commissioned a young man with a colorful heritage to preach on this day. I like that. That's what I have, a colorful heritage. He was a gypsy, born in a tent a few miles north of London in 1860. Given the gypsy's reputation, it's no surprise that this man, Rodney Smith, had been in jail more than once. But at age 17, he was converted in a gospel meeting, turning his life around completely. Rodney, who had no formal education, taught himself to read the Bible, and he felt the call to preach. William Booth believed Smith was ready, and Smith began preaching on the street corners in a mission hall. He made hundreds of converts. He even married one of them. Soon, Gypsy Smith, as he was called, became an independent evangelist and drew crowds all over Britain, America, South Africa, and Australia. And during World War I, he preached on the front lines to Allied troops in France. He was a superb preacher and true to the Gypsy tradition, musically talented as well. He would sometimes break into song at an appropriate point in his sermon. Time magazine ran a story on Smith in 1927 titled, Heart in Mouth, reporting that Smith had made many converts even in Chicago's red light district. Few men ever entered the ministry with less education, yet no one could deny Smith's power in the pulpit. As he pointed out often, the way to Jesus was not through Oxford or Cambridge or Harvard, Harvard, but through Calvary. It's the message that's important, not the messenger. In 1917, King George V bestowed on him the Order of the British Empire, a remarkable honor for an unschooled gypsy boy who had done time in jail. Smith died in 1947 at the age of 87, having crossed the Atlantic 45 times, true to his gypsy gospel. He was taught himself how to read the Bible. 
17, been in jail a few times, had a colorful heritage. I like, I think I'm going to use that one. No. I don't have a wicked past. I have a colorful heritage. But he wasn't a schoolman. He, but he knew that the message of Jesus was not about the messenger. It was about the message of Jesus. That's all that mattered. When Jesus went out and began calling the first disciples, like James told us earlier, he didn't go to the synagogues, he did not go to the colleges, he did not find the elite and the rich. As a matter of fact, the Sea of Galilee at that time where he went was known as the slums. He went and found the castaways, the second rate, the ones nobody else wanted. And he said, I'll call them. Come follow me. I'll call you. Those 12 men became the pioneering leaders of the New Testament church. They were not without faults and shortcomings. Thank the Lord. Because if they would have been perfect, I would have never felt worthy enough. Not that I have to be worthy to be called. But I love that the Bible is so full of these castaways that God calls Interestingly, not one of the chosen 12 disciples was a scholar or a rabbi, like James mentioned. They had no extra, extraordinary skills, neither religious nor refined. They were ordinary people just like you and me, but God chose them for a purpose, to launch the message of the good news that would spread across the face of the earth and continue to launch others in making disciples throughout the centuries to follow. He selected and used these ordinary guys to carry out his extraordinary plans to save the world. And that's what it's all about. When the extra meets the ordinary, then it becomes extraordinary. When you align yourself with God, the super with the natural, we can walk in the supernatural power of God. We are called to go. Prepare the way of the Lord like John the Baptist. You know, that's funny. When God was stirring this message in me and I, and I was pondering that fact that we are. We are the New Testament, New New Testament, John the Baptist. Jesus is coming back. We are to prepare the way like John did. Now, I'm not saying strip your clothes, put on the sackcloth, and start eating the bugs and honey unless you want to. But we are to tell people he's coming back. The time is short. We are preparing the way. And this morning I was listening to a podcast, Chili Chilton's um, friend, pastor of mine down in Detroit, said the same exact thing. His whole message this morning was about we are the New New Testament, John the Baptist, preparing the way. And as I was thinking that, I'm like, Prepare the way. 
So that when he does come, people can go, oh, that's who you were talking about. That's him. That's it. That's Jesus. Prepare the way. Think about it. When John, when John was baptizing people, he had been telling people his whole life, there's one coming, there's one coming, there's one coming. There's one coming. And then when he sees them, he's like, there he is. That's the one. That's him. That's what I'm talking about. That's what we get to do. It's not about us. Remember, it's not about the messenger. It's about the message. It's about Jesus. So how are we supposed to go? In the scripture we read earlier in Luke chapter 10, Jesus gave us these instructions. Four simple things. Ready? The first one, I just was counting them, I'm sure it's only four. Pray first. Pray first. The super can't meet the natural unless you plug into the super. The vacuum won't clean the carpet unless you plug it in. You have to get plugged in. Pray first. You can't do this alone. Your strength can't accomplish this. God's redeeming work must come through the Redeemer. There's another story, undoubtedly the most prominent evangelist at the close of the 19th century. His name was Dwight Moody. Dwight L. Moody. A converted shoe salesman, Moody had a passion for seeing souls converted to Christ. He was active in, the, in 1859 in a prayer revival in Chicago. Moody helped establish Chicago's YMCA, and it became its first full-time, he became its first full-time employee. In his eagerness to bring souls to Christ, Moody began preaching on the streets of Chicago. He packed his Sunday school with poor children he found roaming the streets, and he shocked many by even bringing slum dwellers to church. George Williams, founder of the YMCA, lived in London, and Moody traveled there on business. In the spring of 1872, he was asked to substitute preach in a London pulpit. When 400 people responded to his closing invitation, it seemed God's direction to do more evangelistic work. In 1873, Moody returned to England with his singing partner at that time. What was planned as a small tour became a major two-year preaching tour throughout England, Scotland, and Ireland. Thousands packed churches and halls to hear the evangelist from America. Moody and his singing partner returned home heroes and began a series of successful preaching missions in America. Listen, Moody had a great concern for saving souls. He said, I look upon this world as a wrecked vessel. God has given me a lifeboat and said to me, Moody, save all you can. Even though Moody used some of the techniques that Finney had been seen in other revivals, Moody recognized that men were saved by the Spirit of God. Before meetings, he would often tell his Christian co-workers, listen to this, it is not our strength we want. It is not our work to make them believe. That is the work of the Spirit. Our work is to give them the Word of God. I cannot convert men. I can only proclaim the Gospel. It's not by might, nor by our power, but 
spirit, says the Lord. Zechariah 4.6. Pray. You have to get plugged in. You have to realize you can't save anyone. You are only the messenger. Carry the message. Number two, expect trouble. Oh, Brenda, you're such a pessimist. No, actually, I'm not. I'm quite the optimist. But if I expect trouble, I'm going to be on my toes. I'm not going to be shocked when I am faced with trouble. I already told you, if 80% of people will come to church if you invite them. So you can expect 20% are going to say no. So if you expect that, then when they say no, you're like, okay, you're one of the 20. That's all right. I'm going to go find the 80. So expect trouble. As a matter of fact, Jesus said that. Scripture we read earlier. He said, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Little lamb. Not big fetchy. Little lambs. Expect it. But Jesus gave us many, many, many scriptures to say, listen, it's not about you. If they hate you, they're not hating you. They're hating me. As a matter of fact, they're not even hating me. They're hating the one that sent me. So don't take it personally. Now that was the Brenda version. You can look it up for yourself in John chapter 15. But he's saying don't take it personally. The world will hate you because of me. As a matter of fact, servant's not greater than its master. If the master's going to be persecuted, the servant's going to be persecuted. So don't worry about it. It's going to happen. Expect it. Shake it off. He taught his disciples how to wipe the dust off their shoes. You walk into a town and they don't accept you, just go ahead, walk right out in the middle of the square, he said. Could you imagine us down at the fountain? Wipe the dust off our shoes. Say, oh well, I'm out of here. No. That's what he said. Expect trouble. It's okay. Some are going to refuse, but they're not refusing you. They're refusing me. Not me, him. The message we share is not about us. We're only witnesses. Number three, heal the sick. Heal the sick. Before sending out the 72, Jesus first sent out his 12. And it's a scripture that James started to allude to in Matthew chapter 10. When Jesus called his 12 disciples, he gave them authority to drive out impure spirits, to heal every disease and sickness. And then he gave that big list that, you know, all those names, I hate reading names. And then down in verse 5, those 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Here it is. He gave them this instruction. Do not go among the Gentiles or, any, or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. And as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you have received. Freely give. Give them. What you've already received. Jesus wants us to meet their needs, though. It's very important that there was an order in how he said this. Meet their needs. Heal the sick. They're hungry. Feed them. We've been saying this. That's why we got those bags in the back, the love revolution that we're doing. Don't go and tell somebody who's hungry, sitting on a street corner with a little sign, hungry, have nothing, that Jesus loves them unless you give them something to eat first. Those bags are easily, I mean, if you ride them over motorcycle, you can put them in your saddlebag. If you have saddlebags, I have saddlebags. It will fit in your saddlebag. It will fit in your car. 
Carry it with you. If you walk around, they're not too heavy. Throw it in a little purse. There you go. Put it in your little purse. Your man bag, whatever it takes. Carry it. So that you can feed them first. Meet their need. Then share with them. Matter of fact, you know the scripture we used it uh, when we talked about the, the love revolution bags. That what good is it, brothers and sisters? If someone claims to have faith and has no deeds, can such faith save him? In the same way, faith by itself is not, when it's not accompanied by action, is dead. You see, a person is considered righteous by what they do, not by faith alone. You can't just tell somebody Jesus loves them when they're hungry. Feed them, meet their need, pray for them, heal the sick. And then number four, now you can tell them. Now tell them the kingdom of heaven has come near to you. The best scriptures that teach us how to share the good news and make disciples is twofold. The first one, and we saw it in the opening video, is the parable of the sower, or the parable of the farmer. That he was sowing seeds. We learn that the farmer planted seed everywhere. And he was not responsible for how the seed was received. He was responsible for sowing. Seed, planting, sow it. Others will water on it. But God will make it grow. God makes it grow. And then Paul's philosophy, we spoke about this last time when we were talking about leading. Follow me as I follow Christ. Now tell them. Now tell them the message. Tell them the message. Sow the seed and then say, follow me. See, it's not how much you know. It's that you go and you show. That makes healthy disciples. So go, tell them, and then say, follow me as I follow Christ. And then they'll go. They'll find somebody and say, go. Launch. Remember? Going. Ongoing movement. We need to keep our vision of making healthy disciples before us. Everything we do must be taking us toward this goal, this vision. During the membership class, we watched a video. Um, no, I'm not going to show. I'll just tell you about it. There was a life-saving station. It might take longer for me to tell them about it. But a life-saving station. Again, if you go through the membership classes, you've seen the video. This area on this water was really rocky. Uh, lots of ships always sank right there. People were, lives were being lost. So this group of people said, let's build a life-saving station right there, right on the coast, so that we can keep an eye out for those ships. And when there's a storm or we see a ship capsized, we'll go out there. We'll be the first responders. We'll rescue them. We'll bring them in. So they began this mission, and it was going well, and they were saving so many people. Well, then all of a sudden, someone in their group looked around and said, you know, this is a shabby little shack we're staying in. Let's fix it up. So then they began to fix it up and put in nice things, and, you know, some of them were still doing the mission. Well, then they realized that not all of them needed to do this life-saving mission, that Phil appoints some, and so some can go out there and do that. Well, as the son was doing what they were called to do and calling, calling in and saving and rescuing those that were drowning, 
Well, now the people that were trying to make their life-saving station a little nicer realized that these people were dirty when they came in. So let's put a shower outside the church, clean them up first before we let them come in so they don't get the carpets all dirty or the seats all dirty. Well, then they realized that this was taking a lot of time and, you know, we're having newer people come in and, well, we don't think it's part of our vision anymore to keep rescuing people because... Well, we've got our own club now. So they asked those people to go start their own church if they wanted to keep this life-saving mission going. And so they did. They left that church and went down the coast and started another life-saving station, and the same thing happened. After time, they started looking around and realizing that they needed to fix up their little shack and made it into a beautiful place, and well, now they didn't want the dirty people in, so now you got to go down farther. And along this coastline, if you go there today, which I'm not going to tell you where it is, it's loitered with yacht clubs now. There's no more life-saving stations along that shore. You know what their problem was is that they forgot their true mission. Our mission, our vision, our reason for being is for reaching the lost. Reaching the lost. Opening the doors. Telling them the message and bringing them in. We have to keep this vision of being a life-saving station of healthy disciples making healthy disciples our forefront, our reason for being. Or we'll lose focus of what we're called here to do at Marshall Assembly of God. Once you go, God will give you all you need. He'll give you everything you need to say. He'll give you the people he wants you to say it to. As a matter of fact, I couldn't count how many times I've walked away from somebody and thought, I didn't even know I knew that. Where did that come from? Or I hadn't thought about that thing that happened to me in however long. Where did that come from? That's just asking you to go. The kingdom of heaven is near. Let the kingdom of heaven be near in you. Newton's law of motion, a body in motion tends to stay in motion. A body at rest tends to stay at rest. If we become comfortable sitting in the pews, we won't go. So it is my obligation, I believe, a direct revelation from God to keep you motivated to get out. Because once we become comfortable here, we won't ever want to go out there. So if I keep you uncomfortable here, you want to go out there. So I feel it's my, my mission in my life is to keep you very uncomfortable here. Because when we go, we grow. If we stay, we'll stray away from what God has called us to do. What we are commanded and commissioned to do is to go and make disciples. Can I just have you bow your head for a minute? God, I just thank you that you are so simple. God, your words are so simple. And I just thank you, Lord, that you don't make them too wise and too far above our understanding that we're always trying to wonder what you're trying to say. And you made it Plain and simple, go and make disciples. 
Jesus, you even said as you were going, that don't worry, I'll be with you. Wherever you go, I'll be with you. You'll give us the words to say. You're such a good God. And that's all we need to share, is that you're a good, loving God. And what you've done in our life, help us to share with other people. God, I just ask right now in this closing time, Lord, that you begin to just stir an uncomfortableness. If that's not a word, God, you know. But stir this uncomfortable feeling within us when we try to get comfortable in the church. That this is not our place. This is not our calling. That we're to be out in the world calling, telling of your good news. So when we step back and we try to get comfortable here at the church, I pray that that Spirit, the Holy Spirit, would just stir an uncomfortable feeling in us that we need to go and make disciples. God, continue to just use us as a tool in your hand. Help us, Lord, to know the message is not about us. It's not about us. It's about you. And if we are rejected, which we will be, they're not rejecting us. They're rejecting you. Lord, to even say that just breaks my heart to think. God, help me with fear and trembling to share your love and your message in a way, Lord, that I don't cause them to refuse you. And God, as we've learned in this series, I ask that you help me, Lord, to be a good leader, a, a holy example, Lord, that they can follow me as I follow you. Not because I'm trying to be a Bible scholar, some wise person, but a simple person who just loves you with all heart, mind, soul, and strength. And yeah, I might stumble. Yeah, I might fall. But even your word says a righteous man will get up over and over again. And so at the end of my days, Lord, I might be crawling to the cross, but I'll still be heading toward the cross. I still want to be heading towards you, and I still want to be leading people towards you. God, help this church to be known as a healthy church of healthy disciples who go out and make healthy disciples who go out and make healthy disciples. With everybody's eyes closed and heads bowed, if you're here today and you just say, you know, Brenda, that's me. I know I feel that uneasiness that I'm supposed to be going and I haven't been going. I just want to pray with you without anybody else looking around that's you. Just raise your hand. I just want to see it. Nobody else is looking around. I know that I'm supposed to be going out, and I haven't been going out. I want to pray for you. Yes. God, you know the hearts. You know the hands that went up. You know the hearts of the people. God, I just pray that you continue to pour your spirit into them. To know the commission to go, the great commission, the command, and the promise that you'll go with us. Continue to stir our hearts and burn our hearts within us to share your love and your message with everyone we come in contact with for your glory 
just our responsibility to sow the seed. Have your way in Jesus' name. Amen.